it's the next level. that may not be suitable for all viewers. Your discretion is advised. What the fuck? Coming to you from the Next Level Network podcast and that dilapidated soapbox known as Studio Zero. Your favorite podcast has returned. And you're like, oh shit. Anyways, your host, Postmortem Paul here from What Lurks Behind behind Podcast Zero. Zero. And it's a new episode, episode 81, after the month-long break, which was sort of a break, sort of not a break. Um, For those of you who follow the Facebook page, you know that I was doing the um, 30 podcasts in 30 days, well, revisited version challenge. Um, It was something that Ben, uh, Next Level Network uh, creator, basically had uh, informed all of us on the network that November apparently was this thing where there was like 30 podcasts in 30 days. And with my schedule being the way it is, like work and life, and because my life is so, you know, busy and hectic, you know. But um, I knew I wouldn't be able to do 30 episodes in 30 days. Even if they were like five-minute episodes, I just, I knew I would, I'd screw up somewhere. So I changed the rules a little and did like a whole revisited thing and so on the Facebook page every day at 10 o'clock in the morning I post another episode from the past 
So you saw episodes like, you know, The Wraith, Lake Mungo, uh, Killer Clowns from Outer Space, Pet Cemetery. Um, you know, and all the ones I enjoyed doing. <laughs> Ginger Snaps. I didn't put Suspiria. But, um, yeah, so I figured at first I was going to do a new episode during November. And then I was like, you know what? Just let this ride out. It gives me a break as well. Because I've had other things, you know, occupying my attention and whatnot. So it's like, you know, just let that play out. Let, let's just let that be it, its own thing. So so now we're back with a new episode, episode 81. And holy shit, you're going to be like, what the fuck is he reviewing this week? This is a shot on video. Um, and it's not things. I know I, last episode... Way back when, I told you, you know, I said, hey, if you can withstand the challenge, watch things. No, this is another shot on video movie. And it's an interesting one. From 1988, it's a little magnum opus known as Woodchipper Massacre. Oh, yeah. This is a thing, kids. This is a thing. Um, so, yeah, that's going to be this week's episode. Before I get into that, though, a few things to talk about and whatnot. Uh, so, I did say I've had things occupying my attention over the past month. One of those things was the new Xbox Series X. I know, you're like, video games? Seriously? This is what he's starting with? Yes, I am. Uh, <laughs> I know, and everyone, and, you know, people will be like, well, PS5 had, you know, exclusive releases when they were released. Yeah, I know. I'm well aware of it. You know, I went with Xbox. Um, I'm Xbox was my console of choice. And I went with that. I, I was lucky enough to score a pre-order. This is the first time I've ever done a launch date console thing. So I wasn't sure what to expect. All in all, overall, not bad. Um... It has, and it's probably my TV for all I know. Like, I don't even think it's the actual Xbox, but it has like this weird, like, flickering thing. And it only does it from time to time. It doesn't do it often. And usually when I'm on a menu screen, like, it doesn't affect my Blu rays. It doesn't affect my gaming. It doesn't affect any of that stuff. It's just if it's on the menu screen for more than, like, you know, 10, 15 minutes. And that's usually when I'm, like, doing coffee breaks or making food or something like that. And I'll come back and the screen flickers real quickly and that's it i can't really complain about this thing um in terms of the blu-ray part of it it is 4k uhd it looks spectacular it's absolutely gorgeous broke it in with pet cemetery i had to um, <laughs> well actually i tested it with blade runner and i'd never seen blade runner look so beautiful in my life i was like oh there's a tear in my eye here um and then did Pet Cemetery and Ghost in the Shell, and wow, it looked gorgeous. Uh, in terms of the gaming, um, I haven't done a lot of gaming. I've done some. Um, let's see, what did I play on there? Well, I tested it with Batman Arkham City. I was like, okay, let's go a 360 game, but it was remastered, so I went with the remastered version. I thought, okay, let's see how it upscales it. Oh, God, it looks gorgeous. And then I tried an Xbox 360 game. I went with Batman Arkham Origins. And again, not shabby. I mean, you got to keep in mind, this is a 360 game they didn't remaster. Uh, Microsoft never did a remaster for it. Warner Brothers Games never did a, 
a remaster for it. So it's literally going from 360 to trying to give you the best experience it can. And it still looks awesome. So I, I couldn't complain. I mean, it, there's certain elements that were a little pixelized. And I'm like, well, you know, it is what it is. Like I said, they didn't remaster this one at all. So I'm going to get what I'm going to get. Um, uh, let's see what else. I was playing Madden 20 because it was part of the EA Play thing. And I was like, all right, let's make the Chicago Bears some winners because in real life, yeah, remember when I back when I said they were 5-1? and one? Well, anyways, enough of that. So, yeah, they won the Super Bowl when I was playing with them because I know how to call plays. But anyways, you're like, it's a horror podcast, Paul, stop talking sports. But, um, so, yeah, I did Madden 20. That looked amazing. Uh, just started playing Cloud Punk again for a second time now but i wanted to do the xbox version of it to see the differences and whatnot there's not much uh that's there's a few little tweaks in it but obviously i haven't played the game since may and i know the developers were you know upping the game as as time's been going on so there's some cool new things with it and whatnot looks awesome uh what else did i play battlefront 2 Star Wars game. I've been on a huge Star Wars kick. I'm going to try to keep that to a minimum on here. <laughs> but between Mandalorian, Clone Wars, and just everything I've been watching lately, uh, Star Wars went... Whew. That really took a lot of my attention this past month. Um, all in all, I can say in terms of the Xbox Series X, from what I've seen so far, I like what I see. Uh, the controller is very nice, very sleek. Um, it is a bit smaller than the Xbox One controller, so it's kind of nice that way. Uh, there was one thing that had been brought up. The Blu-ray part of it. So, some people I've seen online have said they're able to play other region discs, that it's a region-free Blu-ray player. I did not have such success. Um... I do have one UK disc in my possession right now, and I tried playing it. It did not work. However, one of my friends had the UK release of Night of the Demons, and his played. So, in terms of region-free Blu-ray player part to it, I'm not sure. Uh, it might be a hit-or-miss kind of thing. Maybe certain discs don't have, you know, the region block on it or whatever. I don't know. One thing that I read online that I thought was actually a good point to think about is you don't buy a Blu-ray player to play Xbox games. And that's kind of a good point. So if you really want a full, you know, Blu-ray, you know, experience, what are you going to do? You're going to buy a Blu-ray player. I have a region-free Blu-ray player now, and I can enjoy those discs from around the world on my Blu-ray Blu player. That's not the sole reason I bought an Xbox. If it had been region-free, that would have been, you know, fucking awesome. But it wasn't, and that is what it is. Moving on, though, past the Xbox Series X, uh, just quickly wanted to mention that Arrow Video recently um, announced this past weekend that they have brand new 4K restorations of both the, uh, the films Demons and Demons 2. Uh, now, it was released for UK release, but the discs are 4K UHD, which basically makes them region-free. Um, so, you know, have at it, Haas. You know, if you want to upgrade your Demons game and get a 4K UHD version, Aero Video has released them. For, well, it's pre-order right now. 
Um, and in terms of also releases, uh, so big topic of discussion on the internet whether this should happen or not. Uh, Godzilla versus Kong. Uh, it looks like it's going to follow suit with Wonder Woman 84. So, if, for those of you not familiar with the Wonder Woman 84 scenario, the movie is going to HBO Max. It will also be released in theaters where theaters are open, but due to, you know, this fucking world, <laughs> not every place has an open theater nowadays. So, Godzilla vs. Kong apparently is going to go to HBO Max as well. Uh possibly theater release, you know, concurrently at the same time kind of thing. The release date for that is May 21st, 2021. God, let's hope by then, you know, a lot of this shit has gone away, but it probably won't. Um, the thing that people seem to not understand is a virus doesn't just disappear. Kind of like other... I'm not going to get into it. I'm going to stay off the politics this week. Um, but yeah. So, Godzilla versus Kong. It'll go to HBO Max. That's at least what sounds like is going to happen. And, you know, if it's in a theater, great. But the big discussion online was, well, uh, a movie of this magnitude and this size and the idea that you want the massive scale, do you really want this on a small screen at home? Well, the thing is, is that a lot of people do actually enjoy watching movies at home and don't necessarily want the big screen. Um, myself, personally, I more enjoy movies at home than I do in a theater. I'm not a theater guy. I'll go if it's like 11 o'clock in the morning when there's three other people in the theater with me. I do not like crowded spaces. I don't like a lot of people around me. I don't like people talking during a movie. I'm very particular about that. I have a hard enough time. Focusing on movies as it is. I know I talk about movies every week, but um, I kind of need like my tunnel vision when watching a movie and I don't like shit distracting me around me and nothing bothers me more than when like you have that person that's got to do the side commentary and all that other shit. You know what? Shut up. Let me watch the movie. So watching it at home for me is not a bad thing, but I get I get it at the same time. You're watching two of the greatest giant monsters ever, you know, together, dueling off against each other or teaming up, however the story ends up going. The thing is, is that some people want it on a large screen. So it's been a, a discussion of contention online. It is what it is. Um, but Warner Brothers is going to do what Warner Brothers is going to do. If they go to HBO Max, well, I guess that's what's going to happen. Okay, so, moving on. Kyoto Brothers! Oh, they've been in the talks lately. Uh, for those of you who know, they do have a new um, animated feature on Netflix. 42-minute little Christmas holiday special based off their book called Alien Xmas. And because of that, the Kyoto Brothers have been back, you know, in the media's attention and whatnot. Recently did an interview with comicbook.com. In which Stephen Kyoto has said, oh, wait for it, wait for it, possibly we could finally get a Killer Clowns 2 sequel. Killer Clowns sequel. Now, I mean, obviously, let's not hold our breath on this. We've been told this for the last at least two decades, if not longer. But they actually have 
someone interested in possibly distributing this movie, and it is the same people who just distributed Alien Xmas. Yes, Netflix could possibly actually back this project. Now, I mean, like Stephen Kyoto says, like he's glad there's still a passion for the film. He 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 loves that. You know, kids that grew up with the original movie back in you know 1988 have now grown up, had their own kids, and have now shown their kids this movie. And it seems like it's becoming a generational thing now, where it's like it gets passed down. Um, that being said. He also understands that, you know, they've been wanting to do a sequel since the first one came out. And this is 30 plus years later. We still don't have a sequel. So like, like he basically said in the interview, we're always talking. We would always love to go back and do a Killer Clowns 2. I'm not going to say to hold your breath on it, but it is nice to know that they may have finally found someone who potentially wants to release this movie. And I think with Netflix's like accessibility... It's kind of a really good thing because even myself, I know I'm more a Shutter guy than a Netflix guy, but I do have Netflix and I do watch stuff on there. So basically what I'm saying is, is Netflix is a very common thing in everyone's household. It definitely would make a movie like Killer Clowns 2 very accessible to people that could enjoy it. So I think that's some good news. Hopefully we see more come from that. Um I mean, it's nice to know that at least the Kyotos are still in on this. They still would like to do that that sequel. I have two more points I'm going to talk about, and then we'll get into the movie review. A uh, little bit of sad news. Sad news over the Thanksgiving weekend. Um, by the way, to all the U.S. listeners of this, uh, of this show, happy Thanksgiving. I hope you enjoyed celebrating killing Indians. Um, anyways, no. <laughs> I'm such an asshole. But no, um sad news though during the whole Thanksgiving weekend uh we lost uh, two great actors. Uh one being Daria Nicolodi. Uh she was an actress. She was also the mother of Asia Argento. She did have a relationship with uh Dario Argento back in the 70s and early to mid 80s. Uh she passed away at the age of 70. On November 26th. Um, now, I, for those of you who might not know, she was um, very famous, uh, a very famous B-movie actress. Uh, she was in a lot of Argento's films, as a matter of fact. Uh, movies like Deep Red, Inferno, Tenebrae, uh, Phenomena, Opera. She was in The Devil's Daughter, uh, Mother of Tears. She was in a lot of his films. She was also uh, the co-writer on Suspiria. It's what I've always, I, I've remembered her from Deep Red and, and, you know, Inferno and Tenebrae and whatnot, but I've always remembered that she helped co-write Suspiria, and that original Suspiria film is still one that very, you know, deep in my heart. So, uh, that was one, and then two days later, oh, rest in peace, Lord Vader, yes, uh, David Prowse, who was the corporeal part of Darth Vader. He was the body inside the suit and the mask. Uh, we all know the voice was done by James Earl Jones, but the hulking mask that was Darth Vader was David Prowse, and he passed away at the age of 85, which means he's now joined Peter Mayhew, Peter Cushing, Kenny Baker, and Carrie Fisher, 
We do not have many of them left. Uh, of the original Star Wars cast, main actors, Harrison Ford, Mark Hamill, and Anthony Daniels are pretty much all we have left. Um, it's pretty sad when you think about it, but uh, there was a beautiful tribute that was going around online. Um, it was a picture of uh, Harrison Ford, David Prowse, Peter Mayhew, Kenny Baker, Carrie Fisher, Mark Hamill, and it showed the four that have passed in like, like they were like Force Ghost, um, like the the blue hue to them and whatnot. And it was a it was a beautiful picture, but yes, we uh, we did lose our beloved Sith Lord Darth Vader. So rest in peace to both of them, Daria and David. And finally, before we get into this movie review, so I don't, I, I haven't done like a, a massive rant in quite a while, um, probably because I haven't been recording the past month. <laughs> but anyways, no, uh, something hit me, kind of irked me the other day, and I was like, you know, what? I want to talk about this. This is something I actually want to put out there. Okay, so I did mention earlier that, you know, when testing my Xbox, the the Blu-ray function, I watched the 4K, uh, you know, release of Ghost in the Shell, the 1995 anime that I absolutely fucking love. It is probably one of, if not my most favorite anime film of all time. And I was looking up reviews about the 4K release. Uh, don't Don't know why, just farting around on the net every now and then i get these notions where i'm like i want to see what you know reviewers had to say just out of curiosity no i'm a glutton for punishment sometimes anyways i saw this one review and most of them by the way i should say most of the reviews were exactly how i felt about the movie like it's fucking stunningly gorgeous and movies still holds up today you know classic piece of cinema you know great story and the whole nine yards people were right there with me then I see this one review where the guy said the movie was boring and needed more action. Ugh. Okay, so <laughs> this is what pisses me off. And sometimes I almost want to blame the Matrix for this, which it's not the Matrix's fault. But I get pissed off when I hear people talking about cyberpunk films and they will say they need more action. Fuck you. You do not understand cyberpunk it's like Blade Runner. Blade Runner is another of those movies that it it just bothers me when people will say, well, it was like the slowest, most boring movie I ever watched. Then you didn't get it. The movie is not supposed to be an action movie. You want to watch an action cyberpunk movie, you watch The Matrix or movies like The Terminator or shit like that. Movies like Blade Runner and Ghost in the Shell are a different form. They... They're a different version of a cyberpunk experience. They're movies that are supposed to make you think. They're supposed to hit into your psychological, you know, workup and make you actually consider things, okay? Um, I don't think this, the, the person that was reviewing this, I don't think they were ready for this movie, honestly. Like, first off, before before I say anything else, maybe deep, you know, do a dig deep down into the works of like Philip K. Dick or William Gibson. Actually, look at the origins of the whole cyberpunk experience. Uh, maybe understand that within the genre of cyberpunk, it isn't always you know flashy action sequences and glorious visuals. Although I will say the visuals, 
definitely help. And I do understand the aesthetic that comes with that. Like you need that futuristic look. So that part, I mean, in terms of the visuals, fine. I can understand that part. But not everything has to have a bullet time action sequence. Not everything has to have some big like kung fu like, oh, hey, Neo and Morpheus are like kicking each other's ass and let's come watch this and all this other shit. Not every cyberpunk movie needs that. Sometimes this comes with the level of philosophy and conflict, the idea of human spirituality. Spirituality. Jeez, learn to talk, Paul. Um, it's about psychology. It, it's not everything is a shoot 'em up dead. I, I hate saying this, but not everything needs to be Americanized. And I know that people will be like, well, that's, you know, racist. Um, I don't mean it that way, but American sci-fi is very action-y, um, with the exception of, obviously, like, Blade Runner was, you know... Anyways, you get my point. The thing is, is that, like, a lot of American sci-fi is very action-oriented, which I'm not complaining. It, it, I love those movies. I'm not I'm not saying not to love those movies. What I'm saying is, is understand that a movie like Ghost in the Shell or Blade Runner, Blade Runner 2049, and I know there's other ones that I should be thinking of that I'm not at the moment, even Akira, you know, the anime Akira, it, there's some action sequences, but not a lot. It, a lot of it was based on the psychology behind it and the, the, the philosophy the idea of man versus machine, but not so much in a, a a battle kind of conflict, but learning to coexist with one another. Um, not everything has to have that popcorn feel to it. And I think that's more, that's probably a better definition of it than saying it's Americanized is the whole popcorn feel, the whole, you know, oh, I want to go watch this movie that I don't have to think hard. These movies are not meant to be those kinds of movies. They are meant to make you think. And I understand that sometimes a slow-burning thought provoker is not always fascinating to everyone. And I'm not saying this reviewer didn't have a right to their opinion. They absolutely do. And they're not wrong for having their own opinion. I think it was the idea of just saying that the movie's boring. Boring to you, but it's not a boring film. Um it's just it's meant to be a mental exercise. It's not, it's not meant to, you know, just sit there and stare at a screen and not have to think about it. And that's my piece on that. I don't know. Um, some people are like, wow, you really are an opinionated asshole. Yes, I am. That's why I have this podcast. But no, uh, I do this for your entertainment. Uh, anyways, I've rambled a lot about a lot of stuff that's not wood chipper massacre. So did you know? that this year over 75,000 people were killed by family members in the United States. One in ten of these murders are never solved and are written off as unexplained disappearances due to the fact that the bodies are never found and disposed of in the most ingenuous ways. This is one such story. That's how the movie opens, by the way. It's like got like the Star Wars crawl kind of thing going, but it's that. And after the break, we're going to chop into this 1988 straight-to-video cult classic. It's a... Uh, Classified as a horror, but it's more a black comedy. Known to fans as the Woodchipper Massacre. Back in a slice, boils and ghouls. 
It's the Brady Kids meet the Texas Chainsaw Massacre in this heartwarming, stomach-churning tale of a not-so-typical American family that unexpectedly finds itself caught up in a web of death, deceit, and dismemberment. In this family, blood really is thicker than water. <laughs> Woodchipper Massacre. Quick update, just found out. Uh, I was uh, scouring the net while doing some editing. And yes, Peter Dinklage has been cast a star in the new Toxic Avenger remake. Yeah, they're remaking that one too. Not sure how I feel about that yet. Um, I don't know, dramatic pause, but uh, <laughs> I'm not sure how I feel about that because I know the Toxic Avenger, like, yeah, it's a really corny B-movie, but it was meant to be. I think that was Lloyd's, like, vision for that movie. I don't know. But Peter Dinklage, that's a good pull. He's a good actor. I like him. Uh, believe it or not, like, I know because I don't seem like the kind of guy that would be into Will Ferrell movies. I'm really not. I don't really care for him that much. But the movie Elf is fucking hilarious in its own way. And Peter Dinklage in that just makes me laugh. Call me Elf one more time. Yeah, that that whole scene makes me laugh. I'm not going to lie. I do have a soft spot, actually, for... Christmas movies and not always the Christmas horror ones but anyways and in regards to like my Ghost in the Shell rant earlier um, don't take that too seriously it's just me being me um, <laughs> to be fair like I mean I don't really actually get upset like sometimes I'll read reviews and I'm like hmm, don't call that movie boring but I mean like I actually don't react I don't really care everybody's free to their own opinions just as i was free to my own opinion today i decided to be a bit of an asshole online and complain about the matrix because netflix canada added uh reloaded and revolutions to their library we already had the first one um here in canada the first matrix was always on there but of course again the animatrix was omitted from being added to the library. And I'm kind of a completionist that way, where when I watch the Matrix movies, I always watch them in the order of the Matrix, the Animatrix, then Reloaded, and then Revolutions. 
And I've always been that guy because I think the Animatrix is some of the finest storytelling there is within the lore of the Matrix. Uh, The second Renaissance, parts one and two, alone. I'm still waiting for a live-action movie of this because I think it would be, like, mind-blowing. But it has to be done by the Wachowskis, though. At least one of them. Um, I don't want anyone else touching the Matrix. Uh, I'm, I'm already curious about this matrix four what they're going to do with this i'm looking forward to it but at the same time i'm i'm a tad skeptical just because i mean i as i was saying in my online rant to my friends you know i do like revolutions and reloaded i know i said them in the opposite order but whatever i do actually like those movies I know I'm in the minority, especially with Revolutions. Reloaded, there's a lot of fans for that one. But Revolutions, not so much. But yeah, I put this whole soapbox rant about how come we always ignore the Animatrix? And then at the end of my rant, I wrote, well, I just wanted to have a soapbox moment where I could cry about, you know, the unnecessary evils of the world and how they're trying to hold us down. And it's all a conspiracy, damn it. Yeah. Because that's social media for you. Anyways, I'm trying to avoid ranting about social media and politics. So, let's move on to why we're actually here. Episode 81, the featured movie review. Oscar winning. Thought provoking. Heart moving. Woodchipper Massacre. <laughs> it's none of the above. Um, movie from 1988. The release date was kind of fuzzy here. There was no actual release date. But I did love the tagline to this. How much flesh would a wood chipper chip if a wood chipper could chip flesh? I'm not going to lie. That fucking tagline makes me giggle. It just, it made me laugh. Um, anyways, The Wood Chipper Massacre was written, produced, and directed by John McBride. He's a straight-to-video um, writer, producer, actor, and director. In other words, they put a camcorder in his hand and he decided he wanted to make some movies. Uh, <laughs> and when I say straight-to-video, we're talking like Super 8 VHS, like... And, oh, it's golden. Uh, he also worked on projects like Feeders, Feeders 2 Sleigh Bells, Cannibal Campout. That was actually the movie that came out before this one, uh, Cannibal Campout. And apparently there's a scene where they eat a fetus. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it didn't look like they were actually eating a fetus. But, okay, anyways. He also did a movie called Guerrilla Warfare, Battle of the Apes, Terror House, Blood Red Planet and Black Mass, just to name a few of them. Actually, I think I only omitted like two or three other titles because he pretty well. Black Mass came out in 2005, and that was the last one he did. He hasn't done anything for the last 15 years, so I'm sure he's busy with other projects and whatnot, just not in the film industry. The editing for the film was also done by John. But he also had help from Lee Insler and Joe Podesta Jr. The music. I say music. 
with quotations because it was basically a Casio keyboard. Hit the demo button. <laughs> Anyways, the music was done by Tony Dilliberti, Michael O'Keefe, and David Toy. And all three of them, this was their only quote-unquote major film. The film was distributed by Donna Michelle Productions. That was the VHS release. And on DVD, yes, this had a DVD release, kids, through Camp Motion Pictures. Your star and cast, this is very simple. And I'm going to point out that with the exception of, I think, John, I don't think anyone else here ever did another movie. But John McBride played John. Uh, Denise Adil played Denise. Tom Casillo played Tom. Patricia McBride played Aunt Tess. Kim Bailey played Kim. And Perrin Page as Father. And by the way, Kim Bailey as Kim. That is Aunt Tess's son um, in here. So the synopsis. And I grabbed this. Off the back of the VHS. VHS I do not own, but I did find the still image on the internet, so I stole it from there. You're going to love this synopsis. Like, this is hilarious. But anyways, John, Tom, and Denise are three red-blooded American children with real problems. First of all, they have to make room for Aunt Tess's lifeless ligaments in the family freezer. Otherwise... Her fatty ground flesh will gum up the machine and totally destroy a $30,000 piece of machinery. Why did she need to be on one of those wacko diets in the first place? This wouldn't be so bad if their freezer was as big as the one Susie Richards' family just bought. They could fit in three whole bodies if they had one like that. Of course... None of this would have ever happened if the old witch hadn't tried to take away little Tommy's official Rambo survival knife. But then again, what can you expect from a demented old bat with an ungrateful, drug-crazed son on her trail? No sooner have these charming children turned Auntie Tess into a human snow cone than her evil son busts out of the joint in search of funds to pay back his monumental debt to the mob. What follows is an, ins an insane and hysterical escapade as three of America's finest youth experience new heights in technological massacre. Doesn't that sound like a fucking awesome movie? And then you pop it in the VCR and this is what you got. <laughs> but anyways, I love the part in the synopsis where they're like, this wouldn't be so bad if their freezer was as big as the one Susie Richards' family just bought. They could fit in three whole bodies if they had one like that. Like, seriously, this is a fucking synopsis. It just, oh, shit, made me laugh my ass off. The movie is unrated. The runtime is 81 minutes. The budget for the film, $400. Not $400 million, not $400,000, $400. The film took two months to completely shoot. It was finished in 1988. Released on VHS in 1990 and DVD in early 2007. And also digitally in 2017. 
are notes from the sawdust pile. Because, yeah, for flesh, it sure did look like a lot of sawdust and wood chippings. Yep. $400 budget. Let that sink in for a few minutes. <laughs> um, I'm not sure what the rental cost was for their wood chipper, but apparently it was rented for only one weekend. So all the shots with the wood chipper had to be done before the Monday it was due in. Um, and the wood chipper basically chips a lot of branches, especially in the opening scenes. Uh, the opening sequence alone to this movie is hilarious because it's like, like it's, there's like this like Casio keyboard kind of music playing and, and they're showing the credits, you know, all the, the cast and who wrote and directed and basically John's name pops up everywhere. And the whole time this is going on, you see someone putting branches into a wood chipper. And this goes on for almost four minutes. <laughs> like, seriously, it's like, well, there's four minutes of the fucking runtime. Um, and then, like, I, I believe it's like, I forget who it is, actually. It's either the father or the guy who's renting out the fucking machine walks up to John. And he's, like, literally talking to him about how the fact that this machine costs $30,000. And it's like, like, they're talking as if this is the first time they've ever spoken about this machine. It's like, you realize you would have had all this composition and or exposition, as they would call it. You know, this, this all would have happened, like, prior to John using the actual machine. Like, but it just, it's, it's funny because, you know, like movies got to exposit their fucking storylines and whatnot. And it's literally two people standing there looking at each other, like in a way that they wouldn't actually look at each other. Like It's just, yeah, y'all had a lot of acting lessons, didn't you? Um, but I mean, it, it is what it is. That's a, it's an SOV film, right? Um, the film's plot. Is This is actually interesting. So here's where I go all true crime on your ass. The film's plot is actually based off of an actual crime. Uh, 1986, Newtown, Connecticut, uh, murder of Helle Crafts. Um, I believe I'm pronouncing her name properly. It's, um, uh, what is it? I believe she's Dutch, if I remember, or was Dutch, I should say. It in past tense, she has passed away, obviously, because she was murdered by her husband, Richard Crafts, um, in which she was beaten to death, placed in a freezer, and then her body was chopped up in a wood chipper. This is an actual crime. This actually happened in the real world. Um, she was a flight attendant, apparently, and her husband was a pilot. Uh, and... When when she went missing, like her her death was the first in Connecticut's history uh, that was given a murder conviction without actually having the victim's body. They they didn't have the body of. I remember reading something about uh, there was like forensic evidence. Uh, there was like a crown of her one of her teeth they found, um, and obviously I think there was like blood samples and whatnot. Anyways. They had enough to go on to convict and end up through doing the investigation. Her husband was eventually charged and um, he was uh, convicted. Uh, first degree murder, I believe. Uh, she was murdered November 19th, 1986 and she was only 39 years old when she was murdered. 
her and her husband had three kids. Uh, his murder trial began uh, May of 1988 in New London, where it was uh, it was moved due to extensive local publicity. It lasted about three months. Uh, ended in July with a hung juror, a jury. Uh, one juror apparently uh, voted in favor of acquittal, and then walked out on the deliberations and never returned. So they had to do it. They ended up doing a, a a second trial. This time it ended in a guilty verdict. Um, that was on November twenty first of nineteen eighty nine. Richard was sentenced to fifty years in prison. For that, and the last update that I could find as of January 2020, he had been released from prison and is at a halfway house in New Haven. Now that I've gone all completely morbid and dark with that, this same crime actually inspired another movie. Believe it or not, yes, it did. Uh, the Cohen brothers, Joel and Ethan, created the movie Fargo. In 1996, that movie, too, was inspired off of that true crime story. Woodchipper Massacre, however, 12 years before, in 1988. No, sorry. Is it 12? No, I'm doing my math wrong. Eight. Duh. Eight years before. <laughs> wow. I can math. Um, actually, I'm actually really good at math. That's surprising. I didn't get that one right. But anyways, uh, keep in mind, Woodchipper Massacre. Now, I'm going to I'm gonna highlight this point again. A budget of $400 shot on Super 8 VHS. And you're like, why do you keep pointing this out? Okay. First off, here you have this movie where everyone that talks screams at each other. They don't just talk. Everything is a scream. Um, <laughs> like, and it's funny too because it's like you can literally have two actors standing side by side right next to each other it, it has to be that and i'm assuming they all were going in with the thought process of they're using a vhs camera to record this they got to make sure the microphone picks up their dialogue because there was no dubbing afterwards like the dialogue is the dialogue you you heard the opening clip at the very beginning where like the aunt aunt tess and tommy are talking to each other and that's not talking that's them screaming at each other um and i mean this is the whole movie is like this the sister uh, played by denise oh my god at times she's almost annoying because she's screaming so much. And at the same time, as you're annoyed, you're also laughing your ass off because it's just so funny. But you got to keep in mind, like, it, this is a movie. And like I said, there's that other movie that was inspired by the same true crime incident. This movie has no gore. You're like, Woodchipper Massacre. Like, you would think you're going to see some form of gore. At least with things. Things, the gore was somewhat bad. It had a snuff-like quality to it because of the way it was filmed, but there was some attempt at gore and some blood and some violence. This, there's none of that. And like I said, like the body, when it's chopped up and it's coming out of the, the, the wood chipper, it looks like sawdust. Like there's no blood. There's no flesh. It's literally wood <laughs> that's coming out of this thing. Here's the thing. Oddly enough... 
even though this movie, as I'm saying this stuff, like you're, you're, you're sitting here listening to it going, God, this sounds horrible. It's an oddly gripping film. I couldn't stop watching it when I was watching it for the review of this film. Um, I mean, this movie has a higher rating on IMDb than Danzig's Veronica. Deservedly so. I mean, but the thing is, is Danzig's Veronica had a better production quality than this. This, it's the story. The story is actually somewhat fun to watch. I mean, it's... Do I go as far as to say it's so bad it's great? Um... I mean, we'll, we'll further up on these points. The thing is, is that for me, and I watched this on a Monday morning. Uh, for the, fir- the first time I watched this, believe it or not, this slipped right past me when I was younger. Um, I wonder why. But anyways, <laughs> I don't even think any rental store in Windsor, Ontario had this movie. Like, it's something I learned about years later. Uh but I'm watching this on a Monday morning. It's somewhere around, it was like 9 or 10 o'clock in the morning. I'm watching this thing. And it was gut splitting. It was kind of actually fun. Uh, reminded me somewhat of Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. That uh, that movie with uh, Christina Applegate. But the difference is, is this movie is very low budget and no Christina Applegate. So... Whatever, but still, I, this movie was, it was something, it was, it, it the screaming, the, oh my god, I, and like, again, it's one of those things where like, you start this movie and that's the, everyone's talking like this, like they're screaming, and you're like, this movie's gonna be completely unwatchable, there is no way I'm gonna finish this. And some of you may not finish it. Like, if you were to actually attempt this, you might not finish it. But then again, I was also looking at it in this perspective. I always have a thing of looking at things from different perspectives. And growing up, and let's stay with on the theme of anime, because I've already brought up Ghost in the Shell how many times this episode... There are certain anime I've grown up with over my years of life, and the the, the characters scream a lot. Inuyasha right now, I, I'm currently doing a rewatch of the Inuyasha series. I now have my hands on the full first seven seasons, and it's been something I've wanted for a long time. I finally got my hands on it, found a good deal online. I was like, I'm buying them now. All I need is the the final act season, which is like basically season eight. I just need that, and I'll have the whole set finally. So I'm doing a rewatch. And it's interesting because I notice certain things that I may have not noticed before or may have just overlooked before. The character of Inuyasha himself screams a lot. And I, it's something that I'm noticing more now. It's not bothering me. I love the show. So, I mean, I'm not going to complain about it. But he screams a lot. Like, even for just normal dialogue, he's screaming all the time. And it it made me realize, it, you know, a, a lot of anime was like that. Um, and whether it was English or Japanese dubbed, they scream a lot. Um, <laughs> so, I think that was something that helped me, you know, 
trudged through the wood chipper massacre was the fact that I've watched other programs where there's been a lot of screaming, so this is no different. Um, but then again, voice actors are trained to make their voices more listenable, even when screaming. This, not so much. I will say that there's one thing that's really charming about this film, though, is the fact that, okay, I said there's like no gore, but also at the same time, there's no makeup. And you're like, okay, well, then, you know, what? But I find that charming because the three kids in the movie look like kids you would see on your street block. Like, they're not dolled up. Their hairstyles are probably done by themselves. There's no makeup. The Two of the kids are wearing braces. Like, they look like normal, average kids. They're, it's not... you you. Even just today, I was watching the movie Toy Soldiers. I had never seen this movie before. How it got past me, I don't know. But never seen it before, and now I've finally seen it. And it's not... I, I have nothing against the film. The movie, the movie was absolutely enjoyable. But these kids, you can still tell there was makeup involved. They don't... They don't just like they look like like Sean Astin looks like, you know, like Sean Astin and Will Wheaton and stuff. But you can tell that there were elements of makeup that were involved to make them more presentable on the screen. With this, you don't have that. But then again, how many of us on a Saturday morning wake up if you have a a weekday job? You wake up and you're like, well, I'm lazing around the house today. So you're wearing your fucking PJs and a hoodie and your hair's not done and you know, you got bags under your eyes and you look like shit, but that's what normal, actual, everyday people look like. That's what is very charming about this movie is that's what these people look like, just your average Joes. Um, and the the lack of acting lessons or acting talent or whatever you want to say, sure, it, the screaming is one thing, and some people would say, well, this movie, you know, the actors are trying too hard by their screaming. Yeah, maybe. But if some of it, <laughs> some of it is definitely over the top because you can tell it's like, okay, they weren't told to like, you know, don't go from zero to like 15, <laughs> like, you know, in a matter of seconds and you're only supposed to go from zero to 10. Like it, they're, they're the one scene like... um that I opened up with, uh, you hear the music, you, you can't see the visuals, but anyways, Tommy is like air guitaring in his room and he's just trying like too hard to make it look like he's into this. Um, but again, it makes it funny. It's hilarious. Uh, so in terms of like the acting quality, yeah, it's bad, but it's almost good because it's bad. Um, and then, okay, the storyline. Let, let's just look at the storyline just for a couple minutes here. Father goes away for a weekend. Leaves the kids with his religious freak-out whack job of a fucking aunt. Like, the, she's fucking batshit crazy. And yeah, the aunt is, as I, I wrote on my notes, she's all sort of yeesh. Like, holy shit. She needs to get off her high horse and shut the fuck up. Um, the sad part is, I do know people like her. Even worse. Anyways. And let's see, she she fights with Tommy over him getting the official Rambo survival knife. Um, and I mean, that that's the last fight. I mean, she bickers with these kids over everything. You know, like, it's clean your room and 
oh my god, this I parents, I can't believe parents are like this. And it, it's like that she goes on like that for at least uh, I want to say she gets murdered around, well, murdered, accidentally killed by Tommy. Um, probably. 25 minutes to a half hour into the movie might even be a bit later. Um, but yeah, she's fighting with him over that Rambo knife and yep, she gets stabbed and she dies. And and as the viewer, you're like, thank God that's one gone. (laughs) But, um, and what do these kids do? Like, I mean, like, seriously, what do kids do? What, what, what would a kid do in this situation? Well, they do what any good U S kid would do, I guess. And they dispose of the body and walk away from this completely untraumatized and normal by chopping her up, putting her in a freezer. Yep. That's what I would do, honestly. If I if I just killed one of my aunts, I'd be like, fuck it, I'm going to chop this body up and I'm going to put her in the old six-foot cubic fucking freezer until I can spark up that wood chipper and chop this body into itty-bitty pieces because nobody's going to notice that. Um, yeah, that's, that's what, I don't, you know what, maybe kids would think like that. I don't know. I wouldn't, I don't think. Maybe, maybe I would. I don't fucking know. It just, and it's the fact that like the, the kids almost seem like they're completely untraumatized by this. Like there, there's no PTSD with these kids. It's just like, okay, how are we going to do this? Um, Yeah. Oh, and did we mention that, you know, Auntie Tess, you know, her son is a criminal. He's just been popped out of the joint and he owes money to the mob. I love how it's just like, it's just the mob. Um, You know, we don't have any specific mafia types here or anything like that. It's just, we owe money to the mob. And he's going to pop in for a visit. He's looking for mom in all the wrong places. And the kids obviously tell her, sorry, Jeeves, she's not here. Um, You know. So he's going to do some mugging and thugging. He wants to steal money and riches from the kid's home to pay off his debts because that's what a criminal would do. That's what a criminal would do. And they have a surprise for him too because these kids, they're crafty and they're going to trick him out to the wood chipper and hit puree. And that part's funny too because that's probably about the only scene in the movie where we actually have some blood. Cause like they like basically like they pick him up and tip his body into the wood chipper. And then you see like this trickle of blood (laughs) running down the machine. It's like, really? Oh, by the way, am I spoiling too much here? Honestly, I mean, I, okay. Don't expect many of you are going to go run out to go see this movie. If you want to, however, I will say this, um, archive.org, uh, website. You can actually get this movie from there. Full movie. It's how I watched it. <laughs> Do you honestly think I was going to buy the DVD for this one? Not until I tested the waters. Fuck that. Um, but you got to see, like, in all this movie's ridiculousness. Do you see how this movie can be somewhat pulled off? First off, you've got that that killer synopsis that, like, anybody reading this is going, like, seriously? This is a thing? Sounds amazing. <laughs> The cover artwork, well, yeah, okay, whatever. (laughs) Still, though, it was a VHS movie where the video artwork, like, on the box was probably better than the movie. Um, You know, and to think that this all came from one real-life crime that, you know, was just brought up in conversation and John was like, let's do this. Um, 
And this movie also inspired Fargo. And let's look at Fargo just for a second here. A movie that had a $7 million budget. Grabbed $60.6 million at the box office. Okay? Like, same crime. Inspired two different movies. Wow. Opposite sides of the spectrum. And Fargo has a rating of 8.1 out of 10 on IMDb. Deservedly so. It's a great movie. But I'm just saying, think about that for a minute. Woodchipper Massacre's rating on IMDb is 4.2 out of 10. Almost half of what Fargo's is. Rotten Tomatoes doesn't even have a critic score. It's got an audience score at 20% rotten. Um, but I mean, <laughs> I mean, like, there's critic reviews were hard to come by. I, I did find a few, though. Um, Joseph Zimba of Bleeding Skull. I think he basically nailed it. Uh, and this is this is what he wrote. It's a bit of a, a wordy review. I got I got a big chunk out of the review, but I think he nailed it. This film follows the trend of most late '80s SOV shot on video um, attempts, you know, to make us laugh rather than puke. Uh, aside from the $400 budget, lack of actual actors, and obscenities, this could pass for a nondescript 80s sitcom. He's not wrong. But that's not why it's funny. It's funny because there's montages of people cutting the grass. Yes. And cooking dinner. Yes. There are establishing shots of bird feeders. Extreme close-up close-ups of mouths during mundane conversations yes and songs that sound like what happens when you push demo on a casio keyboard absolutely woodchipper massacre isn't what you'd expect from the title but that's why it satisfies i think literally that almost not it sums up the whole fucking thing like, and it's true. And I mean, like, I, I, I was like omitting, like, you know, some of the, the scenes in the movie, just so if someone does watch this, you know, they can get themselves a good laugh out of it. But yeah, there, there's literally a whole cutting grass scene, you know, there, because, you know, father says before he leaves, make sure you cut the grass and, you know, they do it as a team. <laughs> All three kids decide they're going to cut the grass together in their own special way. Um, you know, and the cooking dinner scenes and whatnot—it's—it's it's true. This, this movie actually spends time on this. Um, Scott Weinberg of DVD Talk, he kind of looked at it a little bit differently. He said, after sitting through the whole of Woodchipper Massacre, you'll no doubt find yourself wondering how a movie this amateurish could ever find distribution. Hint: it's the title. And I'm not going to lie. The title is what pulled me in. The title, when, when I finally came across this, probably about a year or so ago, um, and that was the funny part. I even, I found it online. I downloaded it myself. And then it sat there. I didn't actually jump into it. The title was, I kind of had this feeling. I was like, this title is just too good for this movie. Um there's no way this movie is going to be that great. And rightfully, yes, it's not that great, but it's not horrible. I mean, let's just get into the podcast zero rating and I'll explain what I'm 
what I'm trying to say here. This movie is definitely something, okay? This movie stands for something. It's remarkably horrible, yet intriguingly adorable as well. It is. It's it's an adorable film. This reeks of a passion project, uh, where this is merely some people coming together to make a movie, albeit a very low-budget one. But this movie has heart and has amusement that a viewer has to experience at least once. Yeah, and you almost have to take this movie in. Um, The movie is not technologically good, uh, even remotely. Uh, Student project. Except worse than that, okay? (laughs) There, There are some scenes where you're like, Wow, you probably could have learned something in class. And I'm sure that as John went on doing other films, I'm sure it got better. I haven't seen many of his films, so I'm not going to comment either way. But again, it's one of those things where it's almost it's so bad that this is this is a great movie to sit around with some friends, have some drinks or do whatever and just laugh your ass off. Um and the thing is though is and I will say this, this movie shows more passion than some of the biggest budget flicks that major studios have released over the past hundred years. Now, granted, I mean, I'm more to the point I'm saying like within the last 20 years, because we've seen some really wretched box office duds, you know, come out and from major studios, you know, from MGM and Warner brothers and Paramount and whatnot. And they've released some fucking duds, but at the same time, like this movie isn't going to wow you with smarts. It's not Ghost in the Shell or Blade Runner. It's not going to make you think, but it's not going to churn your stomach either with cutting edge gore. So you're like, okay, well, what will it do? Well, this is what it will do. As with the common theme of this podcast as of late, later, the, the most recent reviews I've done, I've been pointing out something. This movie stands as another example of do something you love, even if it's not good. Because as long as you're creating something and putting something out there, putting a piece of yourself out there, you can say you did it. You can say you did it with love, passion, drive. And you created something. And John McBride created something with this film. I mean, I'll be fair. Okay. IMDb gives it a what uh, 4.2 the movie really doesn't deserve much more than a four it really doesn't i mean it's there's a lot wrong with it but there's a lot that is right with it and even though there's the utter ridiculousness of this film it caused me to laugh and enjoy the film and admire the attempt put out by this so on a personal level i'm giving it a six out of ten No, it doesn't deserve much more than a four. It really doesn't. But this thing was actually somewhat whimsical and a joy. And no, it's not a horror film. It's definitely a black comedy. And I think that's the other thing too. Go into this movie appreciating the fact that it's more a comedy. And you might actually enjoy it. Um, And I mean, it's a creative vision that it, doesn't take itself seriously at all which is nice i like movies like that i like movies that 
can be campy and stupid and corny, and they know they are. Killer Clowns from Outer Space is another perfect movie of that, which I mentioned earlier in this podcast as well. And not to mention, this movie gives us something to talk about. Because there's a lot to talk about with this movie. It's a four that's getting a six out of ten on this podcast. And on that note, thanks for tuning in, kids. Uh, Thank you for listening. Thank you for coming back. I know it's been a month since I recorded an actual new episode, but like I said, I decided to let November play out as it did. Uh, For those of you on the Facebook page that may have seen some of the old episodes being rehashed, I hope maybe you went back and listened to a few of them. It's probably scary. (laughs) Sometimes I think my podcast is more scarier than the movies I'm actually reviewing, but you know, it's what it is, whatever. Um, yeah, let's do the where to find the social meds lurkers recommendation and we'll close out with our closing track of the week. I'm also going to announce the next episode, but where to find the podcast Spotify. Absolutely. Apple podcast. Absolutely. Google FM player. Um, the cast box, a whole bunch of different uh, apps and whatnot. Wherever you basically listen to podcasts from, I'm sure you'll find it there. Or you can go to its home at the nextlevelnetwork.com. Nextlevelnetwork.com slash podcast zero. You can also find it at what lurks behind podcastzero.com. Social media, I haven't deleted anything yet, so who knows? Might keep them around for a while, but facebook.com slash what lurks behind podcast zero. That is pretty much my go to. That is the one that I deal with the most. Instagram at what lurks behind podcast zero. On Twitter at WLB podcast zero. Um, Lurker's Recommendation. So, Lurker's Recommendation, I have two. I have two musical uh, music releases um, that I think, especially if you are into uh, Synthwave or any of like the newer electronic music, there are two that I have been playing excessively <laughs> over the last, I'd say at least week. Uh, the first one comes from the uh, electronic artist known as Cyber Thing. Their latest release, Kira. Um, it's a really good synthwave album. The other one is Extra Terra's Project 2077. Obviously, uh, you, just by the year you get, it's inspired very much by Cyberpunk uh, 2077, uh, and um, the titles give it away. Um, Absolutely, but the, if you are into like the synth wave scene, they are two absolute musts. I, I I've been completely addicted to those two. Um, however, the closing track for this week uh, comes from Solar Fake. Actually, uh, gonna go with this Pretty Life. It's their newest release, and it's a damn good track. Uh, Blood Angel released a new track recently with Massive Ego as well, and really, really fucking good. It's been a lot of good music this year. I'm gonna say that. Um, you know, a lot of people have focused on all the negatives of 2020, and rightfully so. I get it. It's been definitely a shit fuck of a year, but there's been a lot of positives too, and I find that a lot of that gets overlooked. Um. But Cyber Thing and Extra Terra, both their albums came out 2020. Um, 
Solar Fake released a new single, 2020, Blood on Gel in 2020. Uh, system of a downer back with two tracks i mean like uh, there's been a lot of good music wise it's been a really good year so um but i'm gonna announce the next episode and then we're gonna let solar fake do what they do uh the next episode is going to be the starting trend for a couple episodes we're going to be doing some holiday features this one again not so much a horror but is created by people in the horror realm i mentioned earlier about the kyoto brothers and their latest film release and yes i'm definitely reviewing this thing alien xmas that's on netflix is the next episode because goddamn, i'm not gonna spoil much because i'm gonna talk about it on the next episode obviously but fuck that was a fun movie um and the runtime is great 42 minutes so i should also add that as the lurker's recommendation Make sure you watch Alien Xmas. It's 42 minutes. It's not going to kill you. Um, but then you'll be prepared for the next episode, which more than likely will come next week. But if not, it'll definitely be the week after. So that's that. Time to go with some solar fake. It's time for me to shut the fuck up. I've talked more than enough. And yeah. On that note, before Pacino tells me to shut the fuck up, it's a cut. You need to shut the fuck up. Leftovers for someday else. Seizing our remains, 
Danger. How can you say down so long? 